0: This is The World in Brief, from The Economist, our top stories. Ukrainian officials said that electricity supplies had been restored in Kharkiv, the country's second-biggest city, and water was back on in Kiev, the capital, after a wave of Russian missile attacks on the country's infrastructure on Friday. An 18-month-old boy was among four people killed by the strikes in Kriviri in the south. General Valery Zaluzhny, the head of Ukraine's armed forces, told The Economist this week that the Russians were preparing for a major offensive in the next few months, including another go at Kyiv. With cases of COVID-19 on the rise in China, certain pupils in Shanghai will be sent home from Monday to continue studying online. The ruling affects those in kindergartens and childcare centers, plus older year groups that are not due to graduate in the summer. A wave of infections is breaking over the country after the government largely ditched its zero-COVID policy. Polls opened in Tunisia's first parliamentary elections since the legislature was closed by Qais Syed, the country's president in July 2021. The opposition is boycotting the vote, decrying it as a farce designed to cement Mr. Sayed's control. It is unclear how many Tunisians will turn out. A referendum on constitutional reforms granting the president unchecked power attracted only 28% of eligible voters. Leo Varadkar became Ireland's Tisha, Prime Minister, for a second time. Under a, quote, rotating Tisha deal, Michael Martin, the leader of Fena Fáil, with which Mr. Veradkar's Fina Gael, governs in coalition, held the job for the first half of the current Parliament. Now it is Mr. Veradkar's turn again. He was previously in office from 2017 to 2020. Uganda lifted a two-month lockdown amid cautious optimism that its Ebola outbreak is improving. The East African country's president, Yoweri Museveni, ended restrictions in Mubende and Kassanda, two of the hardest-hit regions. Since authorities declared the outbreak in September, Uganda has recorded 142 cases and 56 deaths from the disease. Croatia beat Morocco 2-1 to claim third place in the Football World Cup. Romantics were probably hoping for a win for the Moroccans, who had become the first African or Arab squad to reach the semifinals. But a Croatian team led by one of the modern game's great players, Luka Modric, secured another impressive result, four years after being runners-up. The reigning champions, France, take on Argentina in Sunday's final. German police said they had recovered 31 objects from a jewelry heist in 2019 at the Royal Palace in Dresden, a state museum. Lavishly encrusted treasures, then valued at 114 million euros, 125 million dollars, were stolen from a collection assembled in the 18th century by Augustus the Strong, elector of Saxony. Six men are on trial for the robbery. The recovery followed discussions between prosecutors and the defense team. And word of the week, friend-shoring. A kind of reverse-offshoring, in which supply chains are redirected to stable, ideally-allied countries. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. What lies ahead in Ukraine? In the past week, Russia launched a further barrage of rockets on Ukrainian infrastructure as it seeks to disable the country's power grid amid freezing winter temperatures. More will surely follow. But the strikes could also precede Russian moves on the battlefield. Ukraine's top generals believe Russia is preparing another big offensive, possibly to begin as soon as January, that could come anywhere in the country. The question facing them is whether to launch a preemptive strike or wait to counterattack. Ukraine insists that the only way to conclude the war is a complete Russian retreat from land seized this year and from territory it has occupied since 2014, including Crimea. But in private, officials admit to other possible outcomes, with Ukrainian military advances leading to diplomacy. A European official says that ideally— Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, would be persuaded that the war is unwinnable, and that prolonging it would risk even his pre-war holdings, Crimea and one-third of the eastern Donbas region, forcing him into talks. Yet compromise over Crimea in particular will be hard to swallow for an increasingly optimistic Ukraine. Sudan's fitful democratic transition Monday marks the fourth anniversary of the outbreak of protests that eventually toppled Omar al-Bashir, a genocidal dictator who ruled Sudan for three decades. The country's indefatigable democracy activists will again take to the streets in a show of commemoration and defiance. After the revolution, the army accepted a power-sharing deal with civilians. Three years later, as elections loomed, the generals staged a coup. Protesters have been on the streets every week since. Now they have further reason to be angry. Earlier this month, leaders of the civilian bloc and the junta signed a new accord promising a fully civilian government and elections in two years. Activists are suspicious. The agreement was negotiated behind closed doors by a coterie of politicians and generals who are widely mistrusted. The most contentious issue, prosecution of the generals for genocide and crimes against humanity, will supposedly be dealt with later, sparking fears that it never will be. The Science of Pads and Tampons At any given time, about 300 million of the world's women are menstruating. Of these, three-quarters will be using a menstrual product—tampons, pads, panty liners, and so on—to regulate their flow. A typical woman who employs such devices will use around 15,000 of them during her life. Yet rigorous studies into the composition of menstrual products are remarkably patchy. Official reports have found few dangers, and any serious health hazards would probably have come to light by now. Even a small risk, though, would affect many people. And in some parts of the world, from America to Kenya and South Korea, women have reported symptoms including shorter periods, cramps, and rashes when using certain pads. The two largest makers of menstrual products say they give priority to safety and deny using harmful chemicals. But companies' verdicts on their own products can't be taken as gospel. The onus is on scientists, regulators, and public health agencies to fill in the gaps in knowledge. A Clash of Superstars in the World Cup Final For some, this year's World Cup in Qatar has been marred by concerns about human rights. On the pitch, the tournament will be remembered for major upsets, as teams such as Morocco and Japan bested European giants. Yet Sunday's final, between Argentina and France, has a familiar feel. Over the past 40 years, just five countries account for 19 of the 22 World Cup finalists. Brazil, Germany, West Germany before 1990, Italy, and this year's pair. France have recent pedigree winning the cup in 1998 and 2018. Argentina's last win was in 1986, though they were defeated finalists in 1990 and 2014. Both sides boast superstars. Kylian Mbappe, France's young talisman, and Lionel Messi, one of the world's greatest ever players. And in attack, the teams look evenly matched. Argentina have created 11.8 expected goals, a measure of goal-scoring intent, in the tournament so far, and France, 11.6. But Argentina have a stronger defensive record. That could give them the edge. His Dark Materials on the Small Screen His Dark Materials has all the right ingredients, The television show is adapted from Philip Pullman's beloved fantasy novels, which have sold more than 17 million copies worldwide. Jack Thorne, one of the screenwriters, is a BAFTA winner. The BBC and HBO have reached deep into their pockets. It is reportedly the BBC's most expensive show ever to fund the whizzy special effects. And it features a starry cast, including Ruth Wilson, Andrew Scott, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and James McAvoy. Yet although audiences enjoyed the first two seasons, most will probably find the third and final installment, released in Britain on Sunday and already streaming on HBO Max in America, more challenging. The first two followed Lyra, Daphne Keene, as she searched for a missing friend and learned about the Magisterium, a forbidding religious authority. The third tells a complex allegorical tale, tracing several characters and requiring lots of exposition. Some stories, it seems, work best on the page. Weekend Profile, Ekrem Imamalu, the mayor of Istanbul facing prosecution. As the former head of his family's construction company, Ekrem Imamalou says he often saw projects get bogged down by politics. He says he entered politics to untangle the red tape. That line got him elected mayor of a suburb of Istanbul in 2014 as a member of Turkey's main opposition outfit, the Republican People's Party, CHP. Five years later, Mr. Imamalu was elected mayor of the whole city, but only after Justice and Development, AK, The party of Recep Tayyip Erdogan, Turkey's president, contested the initial vote. Mr. Imamoglu won the rerun election by a landslide. His victory was a heavy blow for Mr. Erdogan, himself a former mayor of Istanbul, who is fond of saying that, quote, whoever wins Istanbul wins Turkey. As mayor, Mr. Imamoglu has focused on quality-of-life issues in Europe's most populous city— expanding the metro to ease traffic and improving storm drainage to reduce flash flooding. The president knows that the opposition's successful management of Istanbul poses risks to his 20-year tenure in office, given that presidential elections are expected by June 2023. The CHP has yet to name a candidate to take on Mr. Erdogan, and Mr. Omamalu has stayed mum on his ambitions for higher office but polls suggest that he is one of the opposition politicians best placed to unseat Mr. Erdogan at the ballot box. Naturally charismatic, Mr. Emomolu is a rare unifying figure in Turkey's polarized political landscape. He is religious and progressive. He is a Turk from the ultra-nationalist Black Sea region, but also appeals to minority voters like Kurds and Alevis. His appeal makes him a highly dangerous rival to Mr. Erdogan. On December 14th, a court in Istanbul convicted Mr. Amamalu of, quote, insulting the officials who had ordered the rerun of the Istanbul mayoral election whom he had called, quote, fools. He was sentenced to two years and seven months in prison and banned from holding political office. An appeal is underway, but if it fails, the ruling could bar Mr. Amamalu from challenging Mr. Erdogan and AK at any level. Supporters of Mr. Amamalu think the case is politically motivated, but most analysts reckon that if his conviction is overturned, it could rally voters behind him. After all, Mr. Erdogan was catapulted to power after serving four months in prison for reading a religious poem. A ruling in Mr. Omamalu's favor by the appeals court could just see him follow suit. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random, were Sebastian Kova, Caracas, Venezuela, Martha Baker, Uberlingen, Germany, Martin Lubke, Petawawa, Canada. They all gave the correct answers of The Count of Monte Cristo, Larry Bird, Bert, Oscar Hammerstein, and Fortune Cookies. The theme is Sesame Street characters, Count Von Count, Big Bird, Bert, Oscar the Grouch, and Cookie Monster. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Steve Biko, who was born on this day in 1946. It is better to die for an idea that will live than to live for an idea that will die.